All right, Exodus 15, 22. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. They just had their big celebration song, okay, a victory from the Red Sea. And they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in, in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Merah, they could not drink of the waters of Merah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Merah, which means bitter. And so, and the people murmured against Moses saying, what shall we drink? We're going to see this very quickly, y'all. We're going to see it as a pattern, right? You know the story. You know the story of Israel. And uh, we, we know the story that they would, God would move on their behalf and do things for him, for them that he hadn't done for on the planet before. Never, never have we read that he parted the sea and a people walked through before or sent those plagues and brought a whole nation of slaves out in a day. And yet he did these things for God through no righteousness of their own. He never claimed it was for their righteousness. He claimed it was because he made a promise that he would bring the people out 430 years before that after 400 years, roughly, I will visit you and bring you out. And so he did it for his own great namesake and because he did love Israel and set his uh, he chose to set his name there. Jesus Christ is going to come through that line. We can never forget that. But this would be a pattern of the Israelites. God would do something for them. They would be excited. They would be um, relieved. Okay? They would even have praises come out of their lips and out of their mouths and, and across their lips. And then it could literally be moments later, another circumstance would come and they were back where they were before. I'm talking about in their faith in their confidence in God, in their trust in the Lord. I'm not going to stand up here and say that I'm better than them. We all struggle with the same things, but I don't want to be like them. Okay? God is bringing us along. But we, we have to admit that is humanity. That's even Christian humanity. If, if When we take our eyes off of the Lord, don't ever forget, it's kind of like a theme in this study, that the Bible says that the children of Israel knew His works, or His mighty acts, but Moses knew His ways. And God wants us to know His ways. He wants us to know how He works. To see, kind of, you know, pull the curtain back. We've all seen the Wizard of Oz, you know, and they pull the curtain back and it's this little, little guy that back there who's really no wizard at all. But I mean, the Lord wants us to pull back and see Him behind, behind the miracles and the mighty acts. He has a heart. Okay, the heart of God for man. He wants us to know His heart. He wants us to love Him. The first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God. It doesn't say just recognize His miracles. Well, we need to recognize His miracles. We are beneficiaries of His miracles every day, even if we don't see it and realize it. But the, the, the point of the miracles is to glorify God. And I always think about this, that when Jesus was with his disciples and preaching from the boat, you know, he said, cast out a little bit, and he preached from the boat because the multitudes were pressing on him at the sea. And then he tells, turns to Peter and tells him to let down the net. You know the story. I think it's in Luke. Uh, or maybe it's in Mark. But anyway, he lets down the net, and they can't lift the fish because there's so many. And at first, they're excited about the fish. He beckons to his fishing buddies to come help him, and they all are getting these fish on the boat and there's so many they've never seen so many fish in one haul of fish so it was a miracle right a tremendous miracle but very quickly 
Peter's attention, and rightfully so, it turned from the miracle of the fish instead of just dollar signs flashing through his eyes. Wow, you know, how much money have I got here in fish at the marketplace? Uh, this is awesome. It turned from that, his attention turned from that to the Lord. And without really a word being spoken, he turns from the fish and turns to Jesus and falls at his feet and says, depart from me, Lord. You know, like I'm, I'm unclean. And, and I'm not worthy, basically. And it's, it's almost peculiar, but it's right. That's the right response. And God was trying, the Lord was trying to teach Peter something. Moses got it. Okay? I'll say it right off the bat. You know the story of Moses. That's why we're still talking about Moses and not the roughly two million that wandered in the wilderness and died okay, after 40 years. We're talking about Moses and Joshua and Caleb still. And he got it. He understood. He benefited from the miracles just like the rest of the Israelites did, but he saw a good God behind it all. A personal God, a good God. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the creator of all things. That psalm that I read part of at the end of the music was Psalm 91. That's one that Moses wrote. Okay? And he understood and he knew the Lord. But it says they turned. So the people murmured in verse 24 against Moses saying, what shall we drink? So this was their pattern. It's been the pattern in my life. But it doesn't have to be. Okay? It doesn't have to be the pattern of any of our lives. We're not doomed to repeat this. We can grow in the Lord. We can trust in God. We can come on and be moved from glory to glory. Alright? And so... What he did, what, what they did is they, they would be excited because he blessed them. Part of the Red Sea. Brought them out of Egypt. Uh, killed Pharaoh's army behind them in the sea. And they're singing. And then, when the, the, then they totally forget that. However quickly he allows, allows the, the next trial to come. And so they forget that and they instantly turn. They instantly turn on the man of God who basically is like, he's not God, but he's God to them. He's God's man. He's God's representative. If they got a problem with God, they're going to Moses. Okay? And they had a lot of problems with God. And Moses didn't have a lot of problems with God. We do read one notable sin later in his life in the wilderness that we'll, we'll read about eventually. But he didn't have a lot of problems with God. He, he trusted the Lord. Okay? And so they turn on him and they grumble and complain and murmur. God hates it. I know I've said it before. He hates the murmuring. We can murmur under our breath and nobody hears us. We can put a smile on our face and murmur and complain and grumble in our hearts and under our breath. And we got a big smile on our face. God hates it still. Okay? He knows it. And so they come out and they were in the peninsula of Sinai. That's where they were when they, when they crossed the Red Sea and they're on the other shore now. And again, they're taking the long journey. This is the same wilderness and desert that Moses spent 40 years in. He knew this area. This is where he was a shepherd. And kind of interesting how the Lord brought him back there. And he knew this was not the shortest route. The shortest route would have been uh, to go north. And, and it tells us that, that the land of the Philistines was near in the Bible. They weren't far from it where they were right there. But they took a different route. And they're not just taking a route from a compass or a map or a GPS. 
uh, they're taking a route based on the, the Lord that's leading them, right? Mm-hmm. Don't ever forget, picture in your mind, if you're trying to picture in your mind this whole scene of Israel, always, constantly, never departed from them for 40 years. This cloud never left them. In the day it was a cloud. In the night it was fire. But when, when the, where and when the Lord moved and His presence was represented there, that's how the children of Israel moved. And so He leads them into this place. There's no water there. It's desert. All the little greenery of the Nile River and all that is far behind. And they're getting into a real barren land. And it's going to take a lot of faith, and I would say courageous faith, if you want to call it that, on Moses' part. Because he knows the area where they're going. Even though God's leading them there and he trusts God, it's still taking faith. Because he feels the responsibility of the people. In other words, God sent me to be their leader. The leader's got to lead them rightly. And there's no water out here. You can't survive out here. And so he's having to trust the Lord. And the Bible says, so Moses brought Israel southwards instead of northwards, which was near to the, the promised land. He brings them southward and entered into the wilderness. And it was he had to. This is because he's following the Lord. He's following the pillar. And again, it's exact. And God brought them into a dry place, into a wilderness, and He led them by the way of the wilderness. And I want to talk about that a little bit tonight. Because you know, the children of Israel didn't like it at all, obviously. And nobody likes it. Nobody likes to be led to a dry place. Nobody likes to be led to a wilderness. Okay? But that's exactly what the people needed. Because we can't forget everything that God allows us on this earth. Everything. Where we are right now as a church. What we've come out of as a church. Where we're going in these end times. And things in your family. And things that are going on. All of it is the Lord's school. It's, it's the education process. Don't ever forget this world is not our home. It's not. It won't be tomorrow unless the Lord... Rap, you know, it, rapture will be with the Lord. It's never going to be our home. It is our training ground. It is absolutely where God deals with us in real life things, hunger and poverty and, and family members that don't want anything to do with you anymore and all kinds of stuff that goes on in this life in a very real way to bring us to what? What is the after? What is the, what's the purpose of the school of the Lord? It's that we would take His yoke and learn of Him. It's that we would learn His ways like Moses. It's that we would learn to trust the Lord no matter what comes against us. This came against us and we trusted God. Then something bigger comes against us and maybe we didn't trust God. But after repenting and all kinds of stuff, then He brings us on. You know what I mean? There's going to be... It's not going to stop. There's not any rest other than just in the person of Christ. There's not any rest for the Christian on this earth. We're constantly being tested. He gives us reprieves. I can't say there's no rest. He gives us reprieves where we're, we come out of the wilderness and, and He refreshes us, but we can be assured that He's going to, to lead us into some more things. And all of it is preparation for what He has for us. 
all of its preparation for what the Lord has for our lives. And so they didn't realize it and they didn't like it, but it was actually exactly what they needed. He could have led them to the north. Like I said, some Bible scholars say maybe two months, less than two months. If that long, maybe two weeks, they would have been to the promised land. But they go three days into the wilderness south, which is not the direction they should have gone. And there's nothing there, nothing to sustain life there but God. God can sustain life there. And so what is the Lord trying to teach us when He sends us through wilderness experiences? He's trying to teach us, among other things, to know God personally. You ever heard the saying before, God doesn't have any grandchildren? He's only got children, right? You won't get in because your dad was a Christian, your dad was a pastor, your mom knew the Lord or anything like that. We get in because we know Christ. He doesn't have grandchildren. And none of his relationships does he call you my grandson and my granddaughter. We're sons and daughters. And we're friends and we're brothers with Christ and joint heirs with Jesus. And so there's an intimacy there and a closeness there. There's a firsthand experience. And God brought, brings us into the wilderness so that we will, and this is plain and simple, this is nothing you don't know, but that we will know Him directly and not secondhand, Not through hearsay. And I want to, I want to read this verse. I've, I've got it marked in my Bible, so I'm just going to go ahead and read it. Um, in Job 42, this is when He's come through everything. Alright, we know what Job went through. That's a study for another day. I can't think of anybody other than the Lord that's really went through a series of trials like Job did. And everything, the rug ripped out from under him, but Christ was still under him. Okay? But when he, when he comes to see the truth, and he says this in Job 42, verse 5, when the Lord says, now you gird up your loins like a man and I'm going to talk to you. You've been, you've been kind of complaining. You've been wondering. You've been wishing you were never born. Your, quote, friends weren't friendly at all and they accused you wrongly. But you had some problems yourself, Job. He didn't sin. The Bible says in all this, he didn't sin with his mouth. But he, he didn't like it. He wasn't happy with God. And in verse 5, Job 42.5, he says, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. God had to get the man to a place of repentance. Can you believe that? That's where He wanted him. And He says, I've heard of you. I've heard of you by hearing the people have talked to. And He served God to the extent that He knew of the Lord. But He says, but now my eyes have seen Him. It's like Isaiah, right? He was a godly man. He was, he was not in a wrong relationship with God. But he was here and God wanted him to be here. You know what I mean? Or he was this close and God wanted to really come up close and see him and have his own life in order. And, and so he says, I've heard of you, but now I see you. Well, the, the wilderness experiences in life, y'all, are, are so that we will see him. Not secondhand, but I'll see him and know him. Y'all understand that and I'm, I'm learning this just like y'all are, that when we really see the Lord like that, then nothing can shake us. Amen. That's the whole point of it. This sermon is not going to change your life unless the Lord would speak to you through it and you would allow Him to speak to you through it 
and you and I would lay hold on the spiritual truths of this, and He could change our lives through this sermon. You understand my point? And so it's, you can hear a thousand sermons on trusting God and going through trials and difficulties, but He wants us to get to the place where we see Him, like Job says, I've heard of you, and He wasn't at odds with God, but now I've seen you. And when I see you, then I see myself rightly. And I realize you're holy and I'm this. What, what am I going to do? And Christ is offered. And the cross is offered. And the blood of Jesus is offered. And mercy is offered. And grace is offered. Every day. Not just for salvation. But every day through this life. So this is what the wilderness experience is for. We need to learn to live by faith. We need to learn to, to eat from the manna that He gives. Not because I got a good job and I'm able to, I got it all together. I went, I followed the right plan. I did good in school and I got a good education. I got the degree, got in with the right people, got the right job. It's not bad. I'm moving on. And we begin to trust in that. No, He'll send us into a wilderness sometimes so that we'll learn to trust in Him. And I'm going to eat the bread He gives me. He's given it all to us, you know, even if you have a good job and so forth. But He wants us to know that. So sometimes we'll go through a lean time. Sometimes we'll go through a wilderness. Uh, the children of Israel went without food and then He sent down manna. Okay? They were in a place where there was no water. And, and we're going to read a couple tonight, but later we're going to read about the water from the rock. The living water. And He wants to bring us to those places where we're, we're strengthened in that. Spiritually strengthened. You think of like a grizzly old veteran you know, athlete or something that may not be quite as as much bringing his step as when he started, but yet he's better now. You know what I mean? Because he's had the experiences and he's learned some things and he's tough and he just knows how to handle the situation. God wants to send us through wilderness experiences so we'll be toughened up. Not a hard heart, but strengthened for the battles. That we don't just run and cry in the corner and throw our hands up in the air and like a little ninny, you know, every time that somebody looks at us wrong, or somebody offended me, or somebody gossiped about me, and and but he wants us to be strong in that. Forgive them, move on. It's not going to stop me from serving God. I'm going on, and I still love them, but I'm going on. Okay, and so it's it's a strength that comes as we go through the wilderness. Patience, uh, real liberty, real faith. That all comes from the wandering in the wilderness, if we let it. Okay? Children of Israel obviously didn't let it, because they all died how? Very specifically, in unbelief. Moses did let it work in his life. Joshua and Caleb, and that younger generation that came up. That's how God makes men and women of God. And so they go three days in the wilderness, they found no water. And so there's this bitter complaint from, from the ecstasy of the Red Sea parting to three days later, bitter complaint. And there's no water here. And they murmured, what shall we drink? You know, it's funny. They could have cried to God just like Moses did, right? There's no reason they couldn't have turned. God, I don't know you maybe like Moses does, but I saw you part the Red Sea. You fulfilled your promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you brought us out all these years later. We've seen your hand at work. Help us, God. Surely you didn't bring us out here to just let us die of thirst in the wilderness. And our children, and our, you didn't do that. I know you didn't. They could have cried out to the Lord. 
but they didn't. And, and uh, so they complain and they murmur and we know the, the whole story. And sometimes, y'all, again, we go through, through things that are so difficult. And after a lot of times, the hardest time is after a great victory. I don't know if y'all have experienced that. Maybe you've been used on a mission trip. Maybe you've been used to teach Sunday school or, or to counsel somebody or God used you in a special way to win some pe- somebody or many people to the Lord. And it was like a mountaintop experience and everything just seemed right spiritually. It all seemed true to you and God was so near. And sometimes it's right after that that He leads us into a wilderness and He's still trying to teach us. You know what I think of sometimes? I think of sometimes... Uh, and, and I know just through Glory House, I was around people like this and in the prisons that maybe that God saved them off of, out of maybe the, really the roughest, toughest kind of life. Let's say a drug addict, okay? And they get saved. And Dee and I had a, uh, the pleasure of leading someone in her family to the Lord and spent his life an alcoholic and a drug addict and he really got saved. Okay, really got saved right then and there. And we helped get him into one of the Teen Challenge, one of these Christian rehab places, Christ-centered. But sometimes these, these guy, men or women that go into these places, they're, they're excited, their sins are washed away, they're delivered from the drugs and that whole lifestyle and everything's ahead of them. God's so wonderful. And then they get to Teen Challenge or a place like that, they're cleaning toilets. And they're getting up at 5 a.m. And somebody's telling them you got to go to prayer and you got to go to Bible study and you got to clean toilets and you got to chop potatoes for the rest of the guys in the teen challenge. And they start thinking, man, and that euphoria kind of can fade away. And, and yet that's exactly what they need. They need that. They need to clean toilets. You know what I'm saying? I need to clean toilets. Do we need to? We need to be brought into that school of discipline to say, okay, I'm still God here. I want you to trust me here. Sometimes it's monotonous things. You think, can we get on with it, God? I'm doing the same thing. I'm teaching the same three little kids every day at at school or whatever. And you know what I'm saying? It just seems monotonous. It seems like I'm ready for the big things, but you're not ready for the big things. If you were, then you would be doing the big things. Consider what you're doing a big thing and let God use you there. And He may leave you there for years. That's exactly what the guys, it's all of us, but I'm just using that for such a, a stark example. Someone saved off the streets and out of alcohol and instantly set free is amazing. Who but God can do that? But then they're put to the, a life of discipline which they never knew before in Christ. And people are barking orders at them, telling them what to do, and they don't like it. You know, a lot of them quit. We've helped people like that before, and I, I'm and done everything you could possibly do. Brought them to the doctor. Brought them to get a haircut and get cleaned up and put clothes on them, you know, boots on them, and and a backpack and a Bible and food and and money in their wallets and a ticket on the bus. And you're going up to the place and after three days, I don't like it. They're mean to me. They make me work in the kitchen. I got to clean toilets. They make me get up at five. Well, you, you, Jesus Christ delivered you from hell. And a life of living on this life is horrible. He's trying to teach you something. I don't like it. I'm quitting. 
you know, and we've done that before. I'm making fun, and then, and maybe they'll go back later. Maybe it's two or three times. I don't know, but don't. There, there are those maras. Mara means bitter. Okay, that was the first place they came. They're all excited. It looks like palm trees. There's something there. When they got there and tasted the water, it was bitter, and they were bitterly disappointed, and so they complained and murmured. But the maras are given to prove us. Proving in the Bible it means to test. It's a testing. Not that God can see what's in us. He knows what's in us. But we think we're really something in the Lord that we're not yet. Not that we can't be. Not that not God's not going to bring us to be that. But we're not where we think we are right now. You don't really trust me like you say you do. Watch. You trust me when things are going great. I'm going to take it away from you. Do you trust me now? I'm still God. I've still got you underneath. But the circumstances are contrary. Circumstances are boring. The circumstances are scary. The circumstances are long and much longer than you wanted them to be. And yet, the mara is given to trust us, to show us what's in us. So we can say, God, like Job, I repent. I pour myself and repent in dust and ashes. You know, and then the Lord turned his captivity around. The Lord blessed Job after that, right? And so that it happens. And so what does Moses do? He does what all the children of Israel could have done, but didn't. But as a leader and the man of God, praise God, he did. And so if we're back in Exodus, I want to read it. Chapter 15, 25 and 26. So they're at the, the bitter waters and they needed one. And he cried unto the Lord. What did he do? He cried unto the Lord. They cried unto him and against him. He cried unto the Lord. And the Lord showed him a tree. Isn't that unusual? God can do anything, y'all. Who would have thought? He showed him a tree. Oh, there's a tree right there. Okay. So there's a tree. And the Lord showed him a tree, which when he cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statute. It was like a law and an ordinance. And there he proved them. The Bible talks other places about how he proved them at the, the waters of Merah. Okay. And said, if thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and wilt do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. So how about that? What did he do? He used their thirst, and then their disappointment, because they couldn't even drink the water when they got to it. And he used an example of a healing of the waters, and he says, okay, I just taught y'all something. Now hearken to what I'm saying. I heal the waters, drink up, okay? But I'm teaching you something about myself. I am the Lord that healeth thee. I'm a healer. So next time you get in a bond, or you get sick or whatever, I'm the Lord that heals thee. That's one more notch, okay? One more grade in the school of Christ. I just went from kindergarten, if I got it, preschool to kindergarten or whatever. And so he's teaching them that. He's revealing himself. It's not just the miracle. It's the God behind the miracle. That's of infinite value. The water was of value. They had to have it. But the teaching was of infinite value because it goes beyond just the physical thirst. Okay? And I love what the author of this book points out. He makes the point that what, do you, what does that represent? I never thought of it this way. Right near, he puts the, the, the sickness and the cure. 
very close, doesn't he? The waters are bitter. They're sick, basically. The waters are sick. But right near it is a tree. The, the sickness and the cure are right there. And he says it represents the cross of Jesus. And when it was put in the water, the waters were healed. And Christ, what other tree do we have that's near? Jesus died on a tree. I, I like the picture. I'm not going to say, thus saith the Lord, but I can see that. You understand what I'm saying? I, I like that analogy that I never thought of before. It's a symbol of redemption. It's a symbol of a surrendered will because Jesus became obedient unto death, even the death on the cross or on the tree. And it, the, the, like I said, the sickness and the cure so close together, sinners come near and, and they're, they're healed and we're forgiven and cleansed. And I just thank the Lord that right by the Merah pool, there was a tree growing. And right in the midst of sinful humanity, the word became flesh and there was a cross right there with people spitting on him and cursing him and everything else. Right in the midst of the sin is the cure and the atonement for sin. And I praise God for that. And he, he took that bitter and he made it sweet. And so it's a constant lesson. And Moses learned it. Like I said, Moses, the Bible says that the, that the Lord made his ways known unto Moses. And it's almost like from that point forward, we, we see that Moses, I might have even been before this, okay, but that Moses learned that the whole weight of this nation that was upon him as the leader. It wasn't a team of leaders, it was Moses, okay? Aaron had been with him, but really it was Moses. But the whole weight of it fell on his friend, Jehovah. He looked at him as a friend. They're turning to me, but I'm turning to you. And he learned to do that, whatever it was. And you know, that's a real lesson for all of us. When we're in the will of the Lord, and we're in the work of the Lord, Let's say he calls you to some work of the Lord or for the Lord and the weight is great. But the, and there's people and there's responsibilities. The weight really he wants us to learn is upon him if we will transfer it there through prayer. There's a real relief in that to be, I'm just a hammer in God's hands. You know, I'm just a screwdriver. I'm just a shovel. I'm just a tool in his hands. The real weight is, is the one who has the power and the God who's got the plan and I'm in his hand. And I, if I'll just be yielded to him, there's a real peace that comes from that. Some people never learn that. You know, I want to learn that. I want to learn that this church, for example, is his responsibility. Not that I would shirk my duties as a pastor, okay? But it really ultimately, all of our lives mine included, we fall, our responsibility falls upon Him. We need to keep it there. We need to keep the weight of it upon Him and really just leave the rest to Him. There's a real, even though it can be hard and you're tired and you're, you're crying and things are tough, there's still a peace when we learn to do that. A peace in our hearts and minds. And then there's this next place they come to, verse 27, and they came to Elam. So they left bit bitter, all right, where the Lord did cure the waters. They came to Elam where 12 wells of water, where there were 12 wells of water and three score and 10 palm trees. And they encamped there by the waters. 
Remember I said that God does give places of rest. This is a symbol. Mara is the place of disappointment and bitterness, heartache, like tragedy. This is the worst. And, and then right next to it is this place of blessing. 70 palm trees, 12 wells of water. They just set up shop there and encamped, you know, and just drank to, to their full. And drank to their full. And it was a place of refreshment. God gave them a space of that. He does that in our lives as well. Our real rest that remains for the people of God is in heaven. But there are moments and places of rest where, uh, where He gives us that time to catch our breath. He gives us the time to be joyful and just, and just rest in Him. And I thank the Lord for that. He's a good God. He's a kind God. He doesn't withhold those things from us. And I'm, I'm just going to close with this thought, y'all. It might not be quite as long tonight, but life has Maras and life has Elums. Okay? Life has that. God is good all the time. He's just as good at Mara and He was able to heal the waters to show Himself to them and to prove them what was in them. And He's able to provide the Elums. He's just as good He's just as much God at both times. He loves us equally at both. He's not, we're not having fallen out of favor because we're in a place of bitterness. If we're in God's will, He allows us to go through that. He allows people to get cancer. He allows people to, uh, friends to forsake us. I can't say it's His perfect will, okay? If we're walking with God and they walk off and so forth, He allows it to happen though. He's just as much God. And He wants us to trust Him. Okay? He wants us to trust Him. And they're going to come to everybody that's weary and everybody that's worn. And it's going to be just in the nick of time. It's going to be just when you needed it. And you say, God, I need a rest. I need a rest. I'm not talking about a vacation. You know, you can go on vacations and come back just as tired. That doesn't always do it. They're wonderful and I love them. Okay? But that doesn't always do the trick, so to speak. We need the Lord to touch us. And He provides those Elums. Mm -hmm. It simply means palm tree. I think it means tree or palm tree is what Elam means. But it's a, it's a picture of a place of rest and shade and, and water for the tree to grow. And we're just to, to magnify the Lord. The, the Bible says that um, we are going to come. The Bible says that every desert march, so to speak, is going to end in Elam. Think about that. Every pilgrim's march, every desert march, every trial, every tribulation, every uh, adversity, years of adversity, monotony, boredom, fatigue, disappointment, it's all going to end with an Elam. The Bible says for absolute fact, the Lamb is going to wash away the tears from our eyes. That day is coming. Amen? It's absolutely going to come. We need to keep our eyes upon the Lord and to trust Him. Amen? And, and to understand that, that we have a hope in Christ. David said, Why art thou downcast, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God. He's counseling himself. He's preaching a sermon to himself. Hope thou in God, for I shall yet trust Him. Even now. I shall yet trust Him with the health, hope of my countenance. The health of my countenance. And so, at the end of the Maras comes the Elams. 
And into the journey comes the, the Elams. And we'll get to see the goodness of God. David said, I fainted unless I believed to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. I just, I would have fainted. It would have been too much for me if I hadn't believed with faith that I'm actually going to see the goodness of God in the end. I just want to close with that. D, if you want to come up. You know, he chose, he chooses, for example, we're talking about the, the, him choosing the wilderness and the desert. He left them south and they should have gone north, it looked like, right? Led them to the wilderness, to, to the promised land. He led them there. Safest place to be is in the will of God. Don't try to take a shortcut. You won't get there. Stay with the Lord. Walk with the Lord. He's going to send that, that, that refreshing and that time of refreshing to us. And He's so faithful to do that. And He's chosen to, to put the rainbow. Where does the Lord put the rainbow in the sky? Is it on a bluebird day? He puts a rainbow with the backdrop of you know, a storm cloud. So just think about that. You know, your life, you're saying, i got storm clouds. Things are hard. Things are trials. Things are not. If I could write my zippity doo dah day, it wouldn't be like this one. If I could write my own future and my own life, it's a storm cloud, but God chose to put His rainbow with the backdrop of a storm cloud. storm cloud representing His peace and His promise. We need to believe to see God in the land of the living. Amen. These altars are open. I know a lot of these sermons have been kind of similar, but I believe they're for our church. I believe they're for me and they're for you. And we need to lay hold. We need to just soak up all this that the Lord's speaking to our hearts right now. He's preparing us for what's next. It's not just for today. God's always looking ahead. And He knows what's ahead. Take some time to meet with your friend and your Savior. And think about that tree that was thrown in the waters that were bitter and He made them sweet. Oh Lord Jesus, we love You tonight, God. We praise You and thank You, Lord, that at the end of every wilderness journey, at the end of every desert march, at the end of every weary journey, unpleasant journey sometimes, God, is going to be the refreshing of God, the promise of God. What promises do we have? We have promises that You're going to wipe our tears away. We have promises that we're going to rain as sons of God, the people of God on this earth. Be kings and priests unto our God. And that the sun won't hurt us anymore and we'll be in the presence of the Lamb forever and ever. We have promises, God, that what's just is going to come to our enemies and they won't be our enemies forever antagonizing us. They'll be put away. They'll be dealt with and you'll deliver us from a strong enemy. We won't wrestle with flesh and the sin and and temptations anymore. There'll come a place when we see you, we'll be like you, for we'll see you as you are. There is a rest that remains for the people of God. We're not going to let go till we have it. You're not going to let us go until we're there. I pray you'd encourage your people, these people here tonight, and these people at the altar, and those of us that are seeking your face, God, that you would speak that hope to our hearts, why art thou downcast, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God. I shall yet praise Him. And we're going to praise you even now. In Jesus' name, we love you, Lord. Touch our hearts and lives and help us, God.